Well, good evening. My name's Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, just a note regarding those baskets that went around. If you did not have a chance to write down a prayer request and put it in there, they're going to be on the back as you leave. So you have another chance still to put those prayer requests in there. I want to uh, contrast uh, two states of mind this evening. And the one that is typical of King Ahaz, I would describe as uh, the fear of man. That's kind of an old... Uh, English term for this thing, not just men, but of humans, but it's always been called the fear of man. Um, Someone is described as a man-fearer in some ancient uh, literature. That means you're basically afraid of human beings and and what they could do to you. So the fear of man, which is what Ahaz is like, and then I want to contrast that with uh, the fear of God, which God keeps trying to put into Ahaz in every way that he can, but Ahaz just will not listen to him. So Those two mindsets, the fear of a man, the fear of God. And uh, I want to draw from a quote by a guy named John Bloom, B-L-O-O-M, from a a website called Desiring God, which I I enjoy to read sometimes. This is from uh, September 2016. I think it's a really good description of what these things mean. Uh, The people to whom we ascribe most authority to define who we are, what we're worth, what we should do, how we should do it. These are the people that we fear the most because they are the people whose approval we want the most. And so I think it helps to understand that ascribing some authority to certain people is a good thing. We naturally do that. God made us to do that. Um, Our parents, our teachers, our boss, that's a good thing. To want the approval of some people is a good thing. Your, um, your spouse, your friend, your children, we want their approval. We, we need to have authority in our lives. So these are good things, but, but the main point here uh, of the sermon is that if there's not a deeper fear, if there's not an underlying fear or reverence, then human fears will uh, inherently enslave us. They will become ultimate, kind of by definition, because there's nothing stronger than that. Um, there's got to be a, a more... Um, foundational fear of God that goes beneath those human fears. And again, remember how I'm defining fear. Not cringing, uh, terrified, but this kind of reverence. So for instance, if I let my dad define me um, without any omnipotent predefinition of who I am, uh, or if I am desperate for Margie, my wife's approval, in a way that has no omnipotent pre-approval, then I'm basically just putting my identity in the hands of human beings. And that's not a safe place to put your identity. Um, The fear of God is putting my identity in God's hands. And it's saying, um, I want you to define me. I want your approval. I desperately need your approval. I seek your approval. I want you to tell me everything about me that I am. That's the fear of God. And in verse 14, God says basically, Emmanuel. That's my sign. That's, that's what it means to have my approval. Emmanuel means God is with us. And so that is where God comes and says, this is who you are. You are, you are one with God. Um, God is with you. That's the fear of God. So um, Paul the Apostle expresses it like this in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. This is what the fear of God would mean if you, were, if you were to have the fear of God. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what I'm saying is the only really way you could stand firm 
And not let other human fears define you is if you have that sense of identity, the fear of God instead of the fear of man. So I want to contrast these two things. I'm going to start with the fear of man, which is really what Ahaz was like. He never really got over that. And in many ways, his fear of man destroyed the whole Davidic dynasty. The whole house of David was ended with the reign of King Ahaz. After Ahaz, everything else was just a puppet king of Assyria or Babylon or the Persians, the Romans, the Greeks. Uh, this was really the last king. And because of his fear of man, the whole kingdom fell, essentially. So look at verse 2. Uh, this tells you um, something about the, the cultural context of this passage. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So um, your Bible in the pew in front of you will, will read differently from this. But it says in the New Living Translation, The news came to the royal co- court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear. Um, Now, this king, as I said, is named Ahaz, A-H-A-Z, not Ahab, but Ahaz. Um, And this is the son of King Uzziah, who I mentioned last week was a very powerful king, very strong king. In the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah had this vision, this call, because the the nation was in, in such terror that there's this power vacuum left. This very powerful king has died. And so now... Israel and Syria are going to invade. And so Ahaz is the son. And clearly he's very, very afraid that he's going to be attacked by these neighboring kingdoms. Um, And so it says his heart starts shaking like trees in a storm. And if you've seen trees in a storm before, that's just think about that image. When you think about the the heart, the the inmost thoughts of King Ahaz... um, we were in the Florida Keys once, and this, these huge storms would, would come through. And uh, these palm trees, these mighty, majestic, tall palm trees outside of our windows would literally be blown down almost to the point they were touching the ground. And so I think that what this is saying is that uh, humans were created to be like these dignified, uh, strong, powerful, uh, beautiful trees that stand firm. But the fear of man is such that these strong gusts come through back and forth in our life. And so we tremble and shake and we swing this way and that way with our definition, our identity of who we are, always being blown back and forth. That's what's going on here with with Ahaz. And I have seen highly accomplished men, grown men that are brilliant, they're creative, they're successful. And um, then like... A mother or a wife will say a few words to them, you know, like sarcastic words, or maybe they get an email or text, and this, this, this man is just broken by it, like a tree just broken by, by the wind. I've also seen women who are very high achieving, they had, you know, stellar GPAs, uh, sterling resumes, but some man, you know, some um, person, uh, maybe a boss, uh, maybe their husband, their father, maybe a son, just a look or a gesture, and again, they'll just be broken by that. Um, and that's what was going on with Ahaz, the king of Israel. And yet he hears this news, and he's just shaking like a leaf. Um, a man named Ed Welch, who is part of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, which I, I think is a great group, CCEF. Ed Welch says, if you fear someone, their opinions, their possible opinions, their attitudes, or their withholding of love then that will become your master. And um, that's what's going on here. And that's what I want you to think about in your life. 
Because I think in America today, um, because our culture is so secular, um, even if you're a believer in God, there's still the underlying um, secularism which kind of cuts you off from a sense of God's presence. And so the fear of man is very, very powerful in America today. And so I'm just assuming this is deep inside of all of us. And notice how God exposes the foolishness of the fear of man. He's trying to help Ahaz to stop worrying. He says in verse 4, Tell Ahaz, stop worrying. Tell him he does not need to fear the fierce anger. I would put that in quotes because he's basically saying it's not that fierce. The fierce anger of those two burned out embers. Think about that. A burned, an ember like in a fireplace or a fire that is starting to go dim and is pretty much burned out and it's just smoking now. King Rezin of Syria, King Pekah of Remaliah, um, these two kings that he's so afraid of, God is saying they're not, they're not really that terrifying. They're, they're just smoking embers. Um, they are not the kind of fire that Ahaz imagined them to be. So it would kind of be like today if there was a threat from Canada and Mexico to invade the U.S. and President Trump was just terrified by that. That's the situation that God is describing here in this passage, that these two little kingdoms are not that strong. And again, the anger of your child may seem like a, a volcano or something to you and like it's going to destroy you or the wrath of your boss, you know, like an inferno that you could never stand in. It would just destroy you. But God is saying you've got to see them in a different way. These are these are burned out embers. They are not as terrifying as you think. I um, I heard about um, this uh, this case where the. Um, this woman was really afraid of people, um, very timid, um, kind of a young professional in her 20s. And um, she couldn't ever um, go out on dates or anything. She was so afraid of other people, afraid of her coworkers, kind of lived alone a lot. And the counselor said, I want you to go in the, into John Wanamaker's store in, in, in Philadelphia. I want you to go to the middle and yell out at the top of your lungs, uh, it's 5.34 p.m. And then I want you to do it again. It's 5.34 p.m. And that way you will see that it's not that terrifying to do that. And it, it really, really helped her a lot. And so it really helps to think, what exactly is this thing that you're afraid of? What exactly would happen that would be so bad if you let down your mom or your dad or your husband, your wife, your child, your boss, your sister, your brother? What is the outcome here that is so scary to you? Um, what? What damage can a human really do? I mean, God describes humans in this way in Psalm 103. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind blows over it, and it's gone. And so this is the way God wants you to think about these people that you're so afraid of, is that they are um, these frail flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. So maybe it's your... Your wife's frigidity or potential frigidity if you were to say something. Or a, a co-worker's resentment if you were to tell them um, some pattern of behavior that you've noticed that's really destructive to the office, but you're not going to do that. Or um, maybe it's your employee and you're the boss. You're supposed to surf, supervise them and you can't say anything because you're so afraid of them. Maybe it's a friend that you have and you really don't want to disappointment, uh, disappoint them. Um, think about what is really the worst case scenario if you actually said those things that you need to say, that you know you should say. Let me give you a few symptoms of the fear of man. Uh, one would be you're very indecisive and you're constantly second-guessing yourself. 
because of what other people might think about you. So you're always having a hard time making a final decision. Uh, one, another one would be you hide, and so you can't really admit true sin or true struggle or true brokenness. There's always these vague generalities. Yeah, like, I know, I'm a bad person, I have issues, but very hard to actually talk about specifics. Um, being overcommitted is often a symptom of the fear of man, because you can't say no to anyone. You've got no boundaries, so you're always doing too many things, and you're worn out by that. Being indulgent, uh, having a very, very hard time disciplining your child, uh, you know, put, right, putting down a line and saying you will not cross this line, actually having consequences or uh, being slightly dishonest, you know, telling white lies here and there, just shading the truth. So you can kind of manage other people's opinions about you because really the heart of it is that you're afraid of these people. Or being vain, that's kind of an obvious one. You, you know, you diet or you work out constantly, you, you read the right literature, you buy the right kind of clothes or things to make sure that people are impressed by you because you have to have people impressed by you. Those are different symptoms of this basic idea that the Bible calls the fear of man, which is what Ahaz is struggling with. And believe me when I say I'm not judging anyone in here because uh, I am the chief of sinners in this area. Um, even as a pastor, believe it or not. In fact, I think the, the fear of man drives a lot of people into ministry. Um, it's not just something that you can say, I'm going to make a resolution right now and I'm not going to fear man anymore. That's not going to happen. That's not going to work. It's too deep. And uh, these things are like, they're like a minefield in a way. They're just placed out in front of us in our path here and there. And then we just fall into them and they, and they just they explode on us. The Proverbs describe it as a snare. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man is a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord or fears the Lord is safe. Because it's like this thing that's out there waiting. You know, you don't see a snare. An animal doesn't see the snare. But suddenly it puts its paw in there and it catches it and it's gone. The fear of man is a snare. So what we have to be careful about is, is giving into this thing. It's not that you can just stop being afraid of, of man, but you can, unlike Ahaz, you can actually, um, you can not give into it completely. You can still stand firm. You can, you can fight it. You can admit it. You can acknowledge it. But look at what Ahaz does. In verse 3, God says, um, <clears throat> he's telling Isaiah, let me tell you where you can find Ahaz. You're going to find Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Now, why is Ahaz there? Um, the answer is that Ahaz is there because he's checking out the, um, the water source for his city in case there's a siege, right? He's expecting Israel and Syria to come down. And, and back then, if you were going to attack a city, you would lay siege to it. And so the city would immediately have to surrender unless they had an external water source. So they always had these hidden water sources. And Ahaz is... is biting his nails and pacing nervously around this pool. He's terrified of this worst-case scenario, which is that there would be a siege, that Jerusalem would run dry. Even though God has already said it's not going to happen, there's Ahaz. God tells Isaiah, if you want to find Ahaz, go down to that pool. You know he's going to be there. And notice that um, God has already told Ahaz this is not going to happen. Uh, he says that in verse 7, the sovereign Lord said, in other words, the most powerful being in the universe is telling you right now, this invasion will never happen. I'm not going to let it happen. And yet there's Ahaz down at the, the pool, checking out his resources. And then God graciously gives him a sign, or he offers him a sign. Now remember, Ahaz has already rejected one warning. Um, 
Verse 11, ask the Lord God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want. In other words, I'm going to do any miracle you want. You know, have it written in the sky. Uh, Israel and Syria will be destroyed. Anything you want, from the highest of heavens to the lowest earth, I will do anything to convince you, if you need a little help, that you don't have to be afraid of human beings. And uh, this is extremely gracious on God's part. He's giving Ahaz uh, a chance to actually stop being afraid, to repent of his fears. God doesn't ask you for much as far as fighting the fear of man, but he does need you to take that step. Were you willing to let him take away your fear of man? But look at Ahaz's response. Uh, No, in verse 12, no, he said. And not only that, but he does this terrible thing, which a lot of us do as Christians, is that he covers up that basic defiance of God with this, uh, this kind of really pretty pious language, this faux spirituality, uh, this false trust. Notice how he describes it. I, I will not test the Lord like that. Verse 12. I'm not, I'm not going to test the Lord. I trust him too much. Well, actually, he doesn't trust him at all. He's pretending he's not afraid. And that's really what you can't do. Okay, so what you cannot do here is pretend like you're not afraid of these things. And say, I'm fine. The Lord's got this in my life. I'm not afraid of anyone. You know, what can man do to me? Um, You quote the Bible as if because you can say these words, therefore you're actually not afraid of people. You're not going to make a dent in your basic fear of human beings if you take that tact, that faux spirituality. You have to admit them. Again, he specifically tells Ahaz twice, verse 7, the invasion will never happen. It will never take place. Verse 8, the invasion will be crushed and completely destroyed. He offers to do any miracle, and uh, Ahaz will not admit his fear. And again, that's the danger, is, is uh, withholding these things from God. Instead of saying, God, heal me. Uh, I put myself in your hands. I need you to heal me. These people, like, tell God the names. Who are the people that you're afraid of? Tell God their names. Ask him to help you. He will help you. Obviously, he was willing to help Ahaz. So that's point one, the fear of man. Verse nine, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. I can't do anything to help you if you're not going to trust me. It doesn't have to be much trust. I can give you a lot of help, but unless your faith is there, you're not going to stand firm. That's point one. Now, point two is there is a way to stand firm. And that's what the fear of God is. Point two, instead of uh, shaking like a leaf, Ahaz can actually, could have stood firm, maybe could have saved the Davidic dynasty to some extent. So again, let me go back to that original quote. The people to whom we ascribe most authority to define who we are, what we're worth, what we should do, and how we should do it, are the people that we fear the most, because they are the people whose approval we want most. And this is the point in the program where you ask yourself, whose approval do I really want the most? And who am I going to ascribe ultimate authority to? That's the question of the passage. Um, Do you want a foolish little creature who, as you know about yourself, your opinions change from moment to moment. Your words come out in ways that you don't even control. Do you want a little creature of dust to tell you who you are and to give you the approval that you need um, is that who you're going to trust in? Is that who you're going to be afraid of? Or the, the creator of the universe who will always tell you you're beloved. That's always going to ever tell you. 
that in Christ you can be 100% righteous, that you're perfect in Christ, that you're one with Christ. Emmanuel, I'm with you. That's all you're going to ever hear from him. So you have the unchanging, uh, perfect opinion of the creator of the universe versus these little dust creatures that tell us all sorts of different things from one day to the next. And yet so often we turn to them. We turn to these people to tell us who we are. Well, this passage is encouraging you to trust in God, to put your fear in God. And notice these little children uh, in this passage. In verse 3, there's a little detail that you may or may not have recognized. Um, Take your son, Shear Jashub. That's Isaiah's little son. Um, An odd name. Take your son, Shear Jashub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. So when he goes to meet Ahaz in this big confrontation at the pool... Uh, Who is there but this little, maybe, you know, who knows, seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, little tiny boy. So there's Isaiah and this little boy, and there's huge King Ahaz. He's probably got soldiers around him. Why does God bring a little child into the picture? Why does God want little tiny Sheer Jashub there at the big showdown, the confrontation? And I think the answer is because God is saying no man needs to be feared, that a little child can take on any human being. Um, That Yahweh reigns instead of Rezin the king or Pekah the king or Ahaz the king, that they're nothing. That that all are like little children to God. And so this little child is there basically as a slap in the face to the fear of man, to Ahaz's fear of man. Um, And look in verse 14. This is really, this is the ultimate child. Not just Sheer Jashub, but you have this child in verse 14. And this is a very, very famous verse. It's a very controversial verse. I'll go ahead and tell you. Um, God is saying, I'm going to reign. I'm going to reign and rule my world through this helpless little child. Not just a child, but actually in this case, it's a, it's a I don't know, like a, an infant, but maybe even more uh, basic than that. You would say it's a fetus. or This is the moment of conception. Look, the virgin will conceive that thing, uh, that little human. That is what God is saying. I'm going to reign through that. And that is what overturns the fear of man, that God could reign through the virgin conception. And look at verse 14. It says, behold or look, pay attention is what God's saying. Pay attention to this, uh, this little tiny, tiny child. And that's the sign he's going to give. You know, Ahaz didn't want a sign. Ahaz is like, I'm too holy to have a sign. I don't need a sign. And then God says, okay, you didn't want a sign. I'm going to give you a sign anyway. The sign is that this virgin will conceive and bear this child. And I really, um, if you want to know more, I, I, I debated whether to go into detail about this. Because it is a very complex um, Hebrew phrase. I have a Jewish friend that he and I debate this at times. Um, it's really hard to know exegetically what's going on here. Um, so if you want to know more about this, I would love to go out to lunch and have an hour-long conversation about uh, Isaiah 7.14 is fascinating. Absolutely amazing verse. But um, the basic bottom line is this. Christians will say, Christians say he's talking about, obviously, Jesus. He's talking about the Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus on Christmas. That's what Christians say. Matthew 1.23, Matthew quotes this. The virgin will conceive. His name will be Emmanuel. We're talking about Jesus there. Skeptics say, uh, devout Jews will say, no, 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 no. This is talking about a child that is born in Ahaz's day. 
Because obviously in verse 16 says, before the child is, is a certain age, these two kings are going to be gone. So within a certain number of years, you know, that child, before that child is a certain age, they're going to be gone. So the sign to Ahaz would have to be a child born in that day. Does that make sense? So this, the, the Jewish scholars, uh, skeptics will say it couldn't refer to Jesus. It has to refer to this child born in Ahaz's day. Christian scholar says it's about Jesus. And I think the answer is that most uh, scholars are coming to today would be that it's, it's both. That yes, in, in the day of Ahaz, there was some special child born. Whether it was virgin born, you know, that's where it gets tricky. Maybe a young woman. But in the day of, of Jesus, the real sign was pointing to someone who was obviously greater than a human being. Because his name is what? His name is Emmanuel. His name is God with us. And no child born in Ahaz's day was really God with us. So it's obviously pointing to something bigger than, maybe that's the first instantiation of the prophecy being fulfilled, but the ultimate fulfillment has got to be in Jesus. God with us. Ima means with. Uh, you put the little prefix new at the end of it, any kind of Hebrew word to say us. And then El is God. So Emmanuel is, is the, with, the with us God. The, the one God in all religious traditions that actually says, I am with you so much that I became, I was conceived. I mean, imagine that. Uh, that this is, this, is, this is the sign that all the fear of man is useless and you should fear God instead. That God actually, the omnipotent creator, became um, this little thing this, at this moment of conception. Um, when Christians have traditionally said that's when the soul becomes part of a human being, that that is God, that God is there. The virgin will, con it's not just give birth, but uh, it's conceive. And verse, uh, verse 6 of Isaiah 9 goes even further. So next week, Rob's preaching on Isaiah 9. And uh, this is where it makes it even more clear that this is, this is God. This is not just any human being. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. His name will be called Mighty God. Clearly not just a human being. And so this is the name that puts the fear of God into you. That when you realize that God is both omnipotent and that he became a nursing infant, that uh, he is both the sovereign Lord and one of us, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Uh, you've got to meditate on that. You've got to think about that. You've got to work that thought deep down into your heart. And that's the only way you're not going to be afraid of humans, is if you really know that, that God gives you this approval that if you ascribe authority to God, and particularly Emmanuel, not just any God, but if you ascribe authority to Emmanuel to define who you are, you will receive approval that is absolutely unconditional, free love from God. Complete free love. And so, you know, maybe your whole life you've been looking for this unconditional approval in all these different faces, all these people you meet. Um, maybe people um, that you want to be your friend, uh, people that you want to approve of you. And, and God is saying you can only find that in Emmanuel, that face that you've been looking for. There's only one, there's only one creature that have ever, has ever traveled, you know, whatever, the 10 billion miles from, from being the creator to being a creature. There's only one, and uh, his name is Jesus. And so you have, to, you have to have the approval of Jesus to break the fear of man. I was talking to this woman Monday. It was such a perfect illustration of this sermon. And I was, I was thinking about the passage. I was talking to this woman, remarkable woman, 
She actually spoke to prisoners at the, uh, at the prison here in Winston-Salem. Uh, the, the male, I was assuming she was talking to the female population. She was talking to the male population. They, standed up, they stood up and give her, uh, gave her a, a, a standing ovation after she spoke to them. This is a, um, like a upper middle class, uh, middle aged woman who, who gave this talk to the prisoners and they just loved it. Uh, because I think they realized that she did not uh, fear man, uh, she feared God. And so here, this is the story. Her, her husband cheated on her multiple times. He was, a, he was a sex addict and she kept taking him back, taking him back, taking him back. He kept cheating on her, cheating on her, cheating on her again and again and again. Just kept breaking her down. Destroyed. Her, uh, her sense of, of worth. Her son became a drug addict. Uh, her daughter abandoned the faith, walked away. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. All these things were hitting her, you know, within about five years. And she was a Christian, uh, at least she professed faith, but she just completely fell apart, as you can imagine. I think as any of us probably would. And she told me this. She said, um, I realized that I was basically giving these people my soul like, imagine it was like a lump of wet clay. And I was like, giving them my soul and saying, here, take, take me and shape me and mold me, however you will. And it destroyed me. I was letting their words, their looks, their gestures and attitudes form who I was. And it was a misshapen piece of clay that came out of that. The pot was not pretty. Um, and yet, I could tell as she was talking that she had this... Uh, power in her life, this joy and this confidence and peace. It was this weird combination of there was great boldness on the one hand, there was, there was great brokenness. And I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Uh, she had this brokenness about her and this boldness. And she said, now I know that the fear of man is worthless. Not that I don't go back there anymore, but I know that, that Jesus defines me, that he tells me who I am, that without him I am nothing. My life is clearly a complete failure, except that I put my hands in the hands of Jesus, that he defined me. And I thought about Paul and how Paul was, uh, the Apostle Paul was this very proud, uh, self-righteous, violently angry, middle-aged man, and uh, he basically just became a lump of dough in the hands of God, right? He just let God shape him, and he said, I am crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul became. And I'll have to say, I, I still get a little queasy when certain emails pop up. You know, when that name, you know, when, on your phone, it'll, it'll come in and it scrolls uh, over the, the edge of your screen. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's from John or it's from you know, Josh or from Ben, no one in here, but um, these emails will come in and you're like, I, and you just, this chill runs through your body. Like I don't, and the subject line is like, I hate you or something. <laughs> and a phone call will come in. I'll just immediately like click off. I don't want to talk to that person. You know, we all have these, these people we're afraid of. Direct confrontation is like the worst where you have to you have to talk to someone about this terrible thing they've done, and you get that nervousness and that shortness of breath. You can barely talk. But, um, but the good news is that's going to be there. That was even there for that lady you know, that I talked to on Monday. She still had that. But the good news is that we have this, uh, this table where God says to you, I can take away that fear. This is the sign, Emmanuel, God with us, that God came to have a meal with us. He came to this earth to eat this meal with us. And not just while he was here, but 
Even now, as he is uh, ascended and raised, he's coming to have this meal with us. And so because of this meal, you don't have to be afraid anymore of humans. Because of this meal, there is a new approval from the beautiful one, from Jesus. And there's this new authority. And you can say to him, I want you to tell me who I really am. Not my wife, not my husband, not my child, not my father, not my boss, not my friend. Only you at this table. And because of that, because this table is so important, uh, we don't want uh, anyone to take it lightly or to trivialize it. We especially don't want anyone here to feel uncomfortable taking it. So we're really careful about this. If you don't want to take this meal, we're about to all take this meal, many of us, but if you don't want to, that's fine. You don't have to. And nobody is watching to see who does and who does not take. So even if you're someone who says you're a believer, but you don't really feel right about taking this right now, then then by all means, don't take. No pressure. We don't want to pressure anyone into any kind of hypocrisy. But if you really, really need, uh, if you need someone to define you other than uh, those other people in your life, if you really need that tonight, you don't have to have much faith at all. You might not even think you do have any faith, but if you want this God with us to define you tonight, then come and partake of his meal, this unique meal. So let me pray for us as we come to the table. Mighty God.